Books of Sorrow, Part 3 As read by Hypersyntax, host of Video Game Crosstalk This episode will contain entries number 26, star by star by star, through entry 38, The Partition of Death. Verse 36 Star by star by star. Beneath a green fire sky, in the throne world of King Aurix, our lord's embrace. We the hive watch as Savathun puts her arm around Zivu Arath, and Zivu Arath clasps forearms with Aurix, and Aurix takes Savathun by the shoulder. They are huge, huge, and they burn with furious power. But this embrace is weakness, and we despise it. Never before have we despised our lords. Have they failed us? We the hive have been driven back world by world. I am at my end, Savathun says. I plot and plan, but I cannot gather enough bloodshed to feed my worm. And the harder I try, the hungrier it becomes. I slaughter and kill, Zivu Arath says, but the harder I fight, the more my worm demands. I too am at my end. The Acumeni war angels have killed me so many times, Oryx says, that I dare not go out into the universe, lest I need my might to protect myself. My worm chews at my soul in hunger. Is this the end of our crusade? Are we, the hive, unworthy to exist? Zivu Arath puts down her great head. We should retire and gather our strength. Savathun closes her eyes in puzzled defeat. We should beg the warm our god to tell us what to do. But King Aryx, who knows best the beauty of the final shape, roars at them. Have you learned nothing? Would you deny our purpose? Whatever we do, we do by killing by an act of war and might. That is the final arbiter we serve, the violent arbiter, and if we turn away from it, we deserve to be eaten. No, we must obey our natures. We must be long-sighted and cunning and strong. We must take this gift the worm our god has given us, this challenge, and find a way to keep existing. How will we feed our worms? Zivu Arath asks. I know, says cunning Savathun. I know a way. But it won't work unless we are killing the Acumeni by the billions. How can we beat them? If we cannot beat their strengths, says Zivu Arath, we must infect their weaknesses. But they are lords of matter and physical law. I know a way, King Aurix says but it will require great power. More power than any one of us can claim. Then kill me, says Zivo Arath, and use that killing logic, the power you prove by killing something as mighty as me. So King Aryx took up his blade and beheaded Zivu Arath. And strangle me, says Savathun, holding a blade behind her back. Use that killing logic, the cunning you prove by killing something as smart as me. 
but King Arx turned with the speed and might of Zivorath and beheaded Savathun before she could move. King Arx was the first navigator with the Map of Death. These were true deaths, for they happened in the sword world. Then he went to the worm named Akka. Verse 3-7, Eat the Sky Emergency Imperative All militarized units attend. Gland 120 proof fight or flight encoding or face certain catastrophic defeat. The Acumeni Crisis Council is now online and true. Attention, as of radial 990 Groove Zero, the Hive has launched a staggering counterattack across the Spinward Frontier. Perimeter, militia, and shock fleets report total casualties. We anticipate total acumeni disintegration slash extinction within 220 years. Vigilance spike, EI, null, attend. The hive entity Oryx slash Arash is deploying a paracausal ontopathogenic weapon that infects and subverts acumeni forces. The weapon operates on individual targets. Targets are abducted and returned as compliant hive slaves with inexplicable and physically illegal abilities. All Acumeni clients should immediately devote all economic and cognitive resources to a countermeasure. Fight hard. We stop the hive here or see our galaxy devoured. Enact Impulse 10x10 A Bayard Berserker Verse 3-8, King of Shapes. This is the coronation of Oryx, the Taken King. It happened thus. In the cold abyss of the sword world, King Arash walked under a cloak of green fire. He walked through the sky, and the sky shuddered and froze beneath his feet. He walked until he found Akka, the Worm of Secrets, who was denying a truth until it became a lie. Akka, my god, worm of secrets, I am Oryx, sole king of the hive. I have come to receive a secret. I want the secret power of the deep, which you hold. I give no secrets, said Akka, whose voice was code. No, said Oryx, you give nothing. Giving is for the sky. You worship the deep, which asks that we take what we need. Akka said nothing, because if it denied this truth, the truth might become false. But you gave us your larva, the worm, said Oryx. And that is why the worm devours us now, because it was given, not taken. So I must take what I need from you, although you are my god. Said Akka, you have not the strength. But this was a lie. Oryx had killed Savathun, his sibling, and Zivu Arath, his sibling, and he had the sword logic of killing them. Oryx, the first navigator, set upon his god with his sword and his words, and cut Akka to pieces, and took from those pieces the secret of calling upon the deep. He wrote this secret on a set of tablets, which he called the Tablets of Ruin, and he wore them about his waist. 
Then Arik said, Now I may speak to the deep, the final beautiful shape. I will be king of shapes. I will learn all the secrets of our destiny. His speech to the deep is not recorded here, but it is known that he returned, and he said, Now I am Oryx, the Taken King, and I have the power to take life and make it my own. Then he went out into the universe and fought the Ecumene with his tablets, and the worm his god was pleased. Verse 3-9, Carved in Ruin Oryx made war on the Ecumene for a hundred years. At the end of those hundred years, he killed the Ecumene Council on the Fractal Wreath, and from their blood rose Zivu Arath, saying, I am war, and you have conjured me back with war. Oryx was glad, for he loved Zivu Arath. The Ecumene wailed in grief. Then Oryx and Zivu Arath made war on the Ecumene for forty years. At the end of those forty years, Oryx said to the Dakua Nest, Listen, I am jealous of my sibling Zivu Arath. Help me kill her. And in desperation, they agreed. But he drove the Dakua Nest into a trap, and they were made extinct. From their ashes rose cunning Savathun, saying, I am trickery, and you have conjured me back with trickery. Oryx was glad, for he loved Savathun. The Ecumene fled into the void. Then they made war on the Ecumene for a thousand years and exterminated them so wholly that nowhere except in this book are they remembered. This book and the mind of Teox, who was not found. And Savathun said, King Oryx, how will we feed our worms? Did you use my plan? Oryx told the hive, I am the taken king, and here is my law. You thrall, each of you will claw and scream and kill what you can. Take enough killing to feed your worm, and a little more to grow. Tithe the rest to the acolyte who commands you. You acolytes, lead your thrall into battle. Take enough killing to feed your worm, and a little more to grow and take the tithe of the thrall you lead. Then tithe the remainder to the knight or wizard who commands you. Thus you pay tribute. You knights and wizards, lead your followers into battle. Take enough devastation to feed your worm, and a little more to grow, and take the tithe of your followers. Then take another portion, as much as you dare, and use it for your own purposes. But if it is too much, your peers will kill you and take it. Then tithe the remainder to the Ascendant you serve. An Ascendant will be those among the Hive who gather enough tribute to enter the Netherworld. They will pay a tithe to those above them. And thus the tribute will flow up the chain so that Savathun and Zivu Arath and myself will be fed by a great river of tribute, and we will use that excess to feed our gods and study the deep. Thus, all worms will be fed, as long as we continue our crusade. This is my law. I carve it thus, in ruin. Ayat. Verse 
Verse 40, a golden amputation. Wrath. Behold the wrath of Oryx, coiled for ten thousand years. Behold the golden amputation, the fall of the Taishabeth, the end of an age. We beat the worlds of the Taishabeth like skull drums, and we howl in joy for our black war moons as they ram silver orbitals and gleaming star webs, where infant Taishabethi sun ravens curl and die unborn. In his throne world, Oryx paces ten times. On the first pace, Kragur sends the accursed to blight the Taishabethi worlds. On the second pace, the Tai unleash their battle plates and arsenal ships to fight our moons. On the third pace, Oryx's war priest meets them in battle and he is victorious. He paints the void with fire. He salts the earth with ash. On the fourth pace, Mengor and Kradug, Dyad Knights, go to the Raven Bridge and they stand on it and kill the Tai for ten years. On the fifth pace, the Thai Emperor Raven comes home to her bridge, and she cuts a moon with her talons. She cuts it open and kills its brood. On the sixth pace, Oryx speaks, saying, Listen to me, Emperor Raven, and I will describe to you the last true shape, which is written on my tablet. And he puts out his fist, full of black fire, and he swallows up the Emperor Raven with a wound. Ayat! Only Oryx knows this power, the power to take. On the seventh pace, the perfect Raven comes out of Oryx's wound, and she spreads her wings across the Taishabeth. Never again is a Taishabethi child born. She is perfect. She enacts the will of Oryx. On the eighth pace, the Tai say, Listen, you are spoilers. You are sphincters and excreta. You rot. Why do you kill? We made silver orbitals and golden star webs. We hatched eggs. We had a good thing. Our clothes were nice. Our food was famous. With one of her feathers, our emperor could have tickled the gods. On the ninth pace, Oryx says, This is the only god the ability to dictate what will and will not exist, this power to go on existing. This is your god. It is never ticklish. On the tenth pace, the Taishabethi are extinct. Then Oryx says, Listen, my siblings, do you know what we have done? We have conquered our way to the edge of the deep. It whispers me when I call on it and it guides my flight. It says that we are at its threshold and that I should come inside. I will go and speak to it. Verse 4-1 Battle Made Waves Oryx went down into his throne world. He went out into the abyss, and with each step he read one of his tablets so that they may become like stones beneath his feet. He went out and he created an altar, and he prepared an unborn ogre. He called on the deep, saying, I can see you in the sky. 
You are the waves, which are battles, and the battles are the waves. Come into this vessel I have prepared for you. And it arrived, the deep itself. Verse 4-2, Majestic, Majestic. Oryx, my king, my friend, kick back, relax, shrug off that armor, set down that blade, roll your burdened shoulders and let down your guard. This is a place of life, place of peace. Out in the world we ask a simple, true question. A question like, can I kill you? Can I rip your world apart? Tell me the truth. For if I don't ask, someone will ask it of me. And they call us evil. Evil! Evil means socially maladaptive. We are adaptiveness itself. Ah, Oryx, how do we explain it to them? The world is not built on the laws they love. Not on friendship, but on mutual interest. Not on peace, but on victory by any means. The universe is run by extinction, by extermination, by gamma ray bursts burning up a thousand garden worlds, by howling singularities eating up infant suns. And if life is to live, if anything is to survive through the end of all things, it will live not by the smile, but by the sword, not in a soft place, but in a hard shell, not in the rotting bog of artificial paradise, but in the cold hard, self-verifying truth of that one ultimate arbiter, the only judge, the power that is its own metric and its own source, existence at any cost. Strip away the lies and truces and delaying tactics they call civilization, and this is what remains, this beautiful shape. The fate of everything is made like this, in the collision, the test of one praxis against another. This is how the world changes. One way meets a second way, and they discharge their weapons. They exchange their words and markets. They contest, and in doing so, they petition each other for the right to go on being something instead of nothing. This is the universe figuring out what it should be in the end. And it is majestic. Majestic. It is the only thing that can be true in and of itself. And it is what I am. Verse 4-3 When do monsters have dreams? I'm walking down the road. I'm going to the Ori to talk to my dad. And I hear, well, I hear this noise. So I look back. And my sisters are behind me. And they are ripping up the road. They've got these huge swords, execution swords, and they're levering the stones out of the road. The stones are covered in writing, like they're tablets, and there's dirt underneath full of worms. I need to get to the orrery before they catch up to me, so I start running, but right away someone trips me. It's my dad. He's got his foot out and he grabs me by the horns and just slams me down on my face. I'm in so much pain, I nearly throw up a worm. Why weren't you ready for this, Dad says. 
He's wearing glare goggles, those shiny goggles that he'd used to save his vision during the lightning storms or sea fire. All three of his eyes reflect me. Didn't you know they'd be jealous because they couldn't come to the orrery and talk to me? Didn't you know they'd move against you? I start wailing like I'm two days old again, and I say, Dad, I, I thought you were my friend. I'm supposed to be safe here. But he just puts out his fist, and I realize he's laughing at me for believing him. Why did I think I'd be safe? In his fist, he's got a black sun, and he holds me by the throat and goes to tip the black sun inside me. I can see my jaws in his goggles. Three reflections of my jaws with so many teeth. So I start eating my dad. I bite huge pieces out of him and I claw him up. I eat his legs and I eat his arms and I eat his goggles and his eyes and he says, Good, good, this is majestic and true. But my sisters are still tearing up the road, so I don't know how to get back. Verse 4-4, four, four. more beautiful to know. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a nihilist. I don't do much except break things. That's what they say about me. We could have had a great civilization if it weren't for that damn oryx, that damn hive. They don't believe in anything but death. The only way to make something good is to make something that can't be broken. And the only way to do that is to try to break everything. I'm glad that the universe runs on death. It's more beautiful to know. But I'm lost somewhere strange. I think that Savathun and Zivu Arath are trying to steal the tablets from me. They must have cut off my tribute while I was away communing with the deep. I love them so dearly. No one else is clever or strong enough to try to break me. No one else can give me this gift. Once, long ago, I killed Zivo Arath on her war moon, and she blew up the whole moon to kill me with her. She was laughing in joy. I laughed too. A whole moon. A whole moon. It was a waste of a moon. But it taught me how to save myself from exploding worlds, which was necessary to fight the Ecumene. I love mighty Zivu more than the moon loves the tide. I'll kill her for this. Over and over, forever and ever. When I get home from my wanderings in the deep, and I take back my throne, I'm going to have children. That's what I need. Sons and daughters, to love and kill. Verse 4-5 This love is war. Zivu upon Oryx uttered by Zivu Arath, sibling of Oryx. Betrayal. We have marooned Oryx within the deep. This is our obligation as lords of the hive, to make war upon each other, to eradicate weakness, and make ourselves sharp. Obligations. Once, I permitted Oryx to kill me, so that he could gain the sword logic and overcome Akka, our god. This left me trapped deep in my throne. But Oryx, my brother, made war upon the Ecumene, and in that war he described me, for I too am war. Thus I was resurrected. Resurrection. 
Sephathun and I conspired to strand Oryx on his expedition. But I secretly believe that I will be stronger with Oryx to war against. Thus I describe him. A Description of Oryx When Oryx looks upon you, you feel that you may vanish if he looks away. The crest of Oryx's skull is as long as an arm. In the course of its life, a thought moves from one end to the other. Upon his crest, I have painted a line in my blood, so that he will remember me. Each of Oryx's fangs has the precision of a finger in the acuity of an eye. Although he was born at the bottom of the universe and taught how to burrow, Oryx has grown wings. The light of wildfire shines through them. Oryx teaches, but he will not be taught. Oryx's body is corded with strength. His sinews and his muscles are as strong as his children, and his children are the strength of him. Oryx wears a raiment of warm silk, made from the call of gods. The voice of Oryx may cause two different numbers to become equal. Oryx, my brother, is the bravest thing I know. Upon Fundament, he learned that we were the natural prey of the universe, the most frail and desperate of things. He thought about this carefully, and he found a way to fix it. He made us strong. He will lead us into eternity. Oryx, my brother, loves me, and this love is war. Verse 4-6 Eater of Hope You are Crota, my son. Welcome. I fought my way out of hell to make you. I fought my traitor siblings, and I fought the swarming corpse of Akka, and I cut my way back into my own court, the high war, which had been usurped. Once I had made war on Savathun, and crippled her tribute so that she could never challenge me, and once I had tricked Zivu Arath and poisoned her tribute so that she could never again try to take my tablets, and once I had arranged my own lineages so that I would be greatest among the hive and secure on my throne, then I found a mother to make spawn. One of those spawn was you. Your life will be a battle too. You will have to win your place at the high war. I will give you nothing. Except this, your first sword. And this name I have prepared for you. We fight a war against false hope, Crota. We chase a god called the Traveler. A huckster god who baits young life into building houses for it. These houses are unsafe, for they cannot stand against my hive. And these houses are a trap for they lead young life away from the blade and the tooth, which are the tools of survival and the means of ascension. Only when the Traveler is extinguished will the universe be free to arrange itself and assume, by ruthless contest, its final perfect shape, a shape which depends on nothing but itself. Thus I name you Crota, Eater of Hope. There is an oath upon me, Crota, my son, an oath against the wretched Teox. This I do not give to you. It is for me, your father, to bear. Let's go meet your aunts and uncles.
verse 4 7 shapes points. Look at you. Already you are grown, my daughter. Already you are a wizard. Have I been away so long? Now you are Ir Anuk, and Sevathun cackles and rages at your brilliance. You have written eleven axioms describing the ascended places, our throne world. You have announced that you will kill one of these axioms, as Akka would kill the truth. And in mantling Akka, you will become a god, as I am. If you try it, I may kill you, or I may applaud. Well done. I brought you this bitter acid for your celebrations. And you, Irhalak, you are a wizard too, as is the way of twins. I have been with Zivu Arath, who complains that you have made a song and sung it into her throne world and killed everyone who listened, quite irrevocably. Will we have songs instead of swords and boomers? What have you made for me? It is a tooth shaped like death. I will keep it in my mouth. What have you written for me? It is the course of the Nika thought ship. I will track it down. I made you by cutting one larva in half. It would not die. Each half grew into one of you. My sword is named Willbreaker, but it never broke you. Verse 4-8 The Partition of Death One day, Oryx decided to grow new wings. While he wrestled with his worm, he came upon his twin daughters, dying in a wound between places. What are you doing, my daughters? he asked. He was afraid that Ir Halak and Ir Anuk were trying to go into the deep, where only the tablets of ruin allowed Oryx to go. We are dying, father, they said, as many times as we can manage. That's adorably precocious. Oryx shook out his new wings. But why? We propose a method by which ascended souls can be detached and integrated into a tautological and autonomous thanatosphere, which we tentatively term an oversoul. Oversouls can be stored in a throne world as a mechanism of enhanced death resilience. As a side effect, new refinements to our death song may be achieved, moving us closer to a generally effective paracausal death impulse. Oryx brandished his sword. Speak the royal tongue, or I'll pin you up for ear to eat. If we can separate our deaths from ourselves and hide them, we will be hard to kill. Oryx went to his son, Crota. Go keep an eye on your sisters, he said. You can learn cunning from them. But while Oryx traveled to observe the deep destroy an ancient fortress world, Crota conspired with his sisters to learn their secrets. I too will experiment with a wound, he said. With his sword, Crota cut open a new wound into a new space. In here, he thought he might obtain a secret power. Out of this wound came machines called Vex. They invaded Oryx's throne world. 